0: Welcome to House to Home Podcast. It's here that we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal haven in our temporary world. So grab a cup of coffee, do the dishes, or even take a drive in your car. Whatever it is you do while listening, I hope you feel right at home. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Bree Scroggins, and today we have a very special guest, Sarah Cook. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for coming on and doing this with me. So I have been wanting to touch this topic for a while now, and I've been talking to Sarah a little bit about it, and I just couldn't think of a better person to come on and join me. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about chronic pain and illness in the home. We know that lots of people struggle day in and day out with health issues, especially while trying to manage and raise a family and do home life. My husband and I have battled just small things in our life have showed up. And then those small things seem to add into big things. And it's a discussion that I have with many people in different seasons of life. And um, I think from just the most minor to the most severe of health issues. It doesn't really matter whether it's cancer or chronic back pain, it really wears on people. And uh, I think it's a battleground that many daily face in their home life. And if anyone knows about this, it's Sarah. And there's many others out there that can speak to this too, but I'm honored to have you on here today to talk with us. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family before we dive into your story?
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for even considering me. And I love that I'm at the point in life that I can come on a podcast and share because Mm -hmm. uh, my story is very unique, especially at my young age. Um, And my story is continuing to develop, right? It's continuing to be wrote.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I just wanted to kind of give a little disclaimer here that when we're talking about this, I've had some pretty extreme health issues. But I think even this could apply to when you're a mother in the home and you have a cold and you're trying to (laughs) for others and you feel like really horrible. And so I think like it's from the minor things all the way up to the really major things, which is some of the things that I've dealt with. So I just want to like give that disclaimer, but. Um, A little bit about me and my husband. We live in State College, Pennsylvania. We've lived here eight years, and most people wouldn't know State College unless you say Penn State, and that's exactly (laughs) where we live. We're the home of Penn State. Um, And we have two girls that are three and five right now. They were um, one and three when my health issues kind of began. Um, So we actually originally from Southern Illinois, which is how I know Bri, we know each other through uh, a mutual church that we both attended. Um, and then we went to college in Carbondale, Illinois, and we got involved in Vine Church. And then we felt called to plant a church out of Vine Church um, with thirty other people, and the church is called Cedar Heights Church College. So my husband, he's a film producer for the university, and I am currently the kids program director at our church. And then I also teach online a couple hours a week for a company called School, just for some extra income for our family. And then I'm with my girls. Um, as well. Most days they're in uh, preschool two days a week. And so we kind of have a nice situation where I am with them a lot. And then I also do um, work out of the home as well. So that's a little bit about us.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Mason was asking me where you taught because I told him that you were tech savvy. You did things online and I couldn't remember the name of that school.
1: Yeah. I started out with VIP, um, VIP kids and that was a uh, Whenever I was, let's see, I had Evelyn only, and then, um, I transitioned into out school because I needed something that was not early, early morning and really late hours. (laughs) So I can teach over nap time and things like that
0: without school, which is nice. So that's awesome. Okay. So over the last couple of years, your life has drastically changed, which you've mentioned just briefly already. Um, You've battled breast cancer, and now you are battling autoimmune disorders. I'm not even sure if you know which ones, (laughs) but can you share your story with us? And listeners, this story might be long. We actually will probably cut this podcast into two podcasts, unless we can just make great timing, but we encourage you to just bear with us. Sarah's story is a huge part of where we're getting from here. She's going to give us some practical advice and tips and we'll talk more together about the spiritual aspect, but your story, it just, I think it'll speak to people. So can you just share as much of that as you want with us?
1: Definitely. I always tell people, I really am an open book. Almost anyone that asks, I'll share. I sometimes do try to condense it, but I do think that there is importance in the details because I think mm-hmm. when you the details, you see the glory of God even more in it and you see um, how specific of a God he is, yeah. even with. All what seems minute um, decisions in my story really did like save my life. And so I think God is really faithful to speak in those small things. So that's why I think sharing the whole picture is really important. And still the story, like I said, being written um, with where we're at currently with my health. But I was 29 and I had, I'm currently 32, which is crazy. I've been going through this battle for two and a half years now. Um, but I was 29 getting ready to turn 30 and I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. The one-year-old actually was just turning one and she was still nursing. Um, I was quite busy in life at that point. I was teaching online, I was working for the church and I was, we also have um, a business where we do videography and wedding planning. And so um, I'm currently not doing that because of my health but at the time I was in the middle of planning a very uh, large wedding and um, About four months prior, I had been nursing uh, my youngest and she just didn't want the left side anymore. And she was about eight months old. And I found that to be odd because, you know, um, it feels like side preference is okay, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. And it felt as if she like it was yucky to her, like the taste of that was yucky. And um, I thought, you know, she's really early to be kind of weaning. Um, We hadn't had very many nursing issues at that point. And so it just, it kind of felt unsettling to me, but I I kind of dismissed it. I was just in a very busy season in my life. And so I was in the middle of the wedding and actually the um, week of the wedding, I think it was the dress rehearsal week, I felt a lump and, you know, mastitis is always a thing with nursing moms. Yes. And so yep. uh, maybe it's just that, but I had this really sinking feeling that I needed to get into the doctor as soon as possible. So I called the doctor and they said, come, you know, next week, the week after um, the wedding. And you can see, I just went to my kind of regular OBGYN office. Um, and we are a group practice. And so at that time I didn't have like a regular doctor that I was paired with. Um, and so I just kind of saw a new provider that I've never seen before and you know there is some cancer history in my family um and so uh there's there's actually more that I that I knew but at the time I was just like yeah I know of a few people that had cancer now I know of more because we've right. been looking up our whole history she's like you know let's go ahead and just do a, a mammogram and an ultrasound and so she scheduled that it was maybe a week and a half later I got that scheduled and so I went in, it was my first ever mammogram and it was a diagnostic mammogram, which is a more thorough mammogram. And it was an ultrasound of where the spot of the lump is. And the lump was very small, but painful and also hard to kind of even feel. Like when I would show it to the doctor, they're like, yeah, I kind of feel it. And I just, it really didn't seem like a big deal to the many of the providers. So I had my mammogram and ultrasound and they, they actually told me the results right there. I was in the waiting room and I just had this really bad feeling. And they came in and they said, Everything's normal. There's no cancer, hmm. and they said you do have very dense tissue, though. And so I said, "Well, can you explain dense tissue to me?" And they said, "Well, dense tissue on the screen is white, um, but also, you know, cancer can look white, so sometimes it's hard to kind of differentiate. But we really don't see absolutely anything." And I said, "Well, can you tell what that lump is? Like, is it like what? What is it? You know, is it a cyst? Right. Or it, yeah. What else is it?" And they said, "We don't even see the lump." And I said, "But the lump's hmm. there." And so it was sort of this tense moment between myself and the provider of like, I wanna know what that is. And so I said, well, I would like a biopsy. And they said, if your provider feels that that's necessary, your OBGYN, then we can do that. So basically they sent me home and I had to call back my provider. And I had a really hard time, maybe four days getting in touch with the provider. And I wanted to speak with her over the phone. She never even called me. So I just kept bothering this wonderful nurse, I think (laughs) maybe an angel, (laughs) I don't know, still to this day. Um, I I actually just had an appointment for my OBGYN, my like yearly physical and um they all know me there now because of my right. story. But every time I'd go and I'd go and talk to her. She was kind of one that would answer the phone pictures. And I just I basically said, Hey, I really you? want to point. get a biopsy ordered. I don't know this doctor that I saw very well. I'm not getting her to respond. Can you help? And she she did. She basically worked to get that ordered for me. And um I remember just very clearly feeling like that was, that was God, that was God just kind of orchestrating that detail and allowing Samantha to be there. And, um, she doesn't work there anymore, but the last time I saw her, she still had a sticky note in her office telling, um, to, to pray for me, you know, which Aww. is really fun. That's and awesome. Also, um, where we are here in the East coast, it's a pretty unchurched area. So yeah. when I lived in Southern Illinois, like I'll pray for you. That was a pretty common to be told or to say and it was readily acceptable um but here it doesn't feel like you run into people a lot that are like like that you know Mm -hmm. so it really felt like I don't know if she's actually an angel but it really felt like (laughs) that was God you know like (laughs) it was just a cool cool moment um so anyway I just prayed before I went to this biopsy it's I actually had a fine needle aspiration which is kind of like another type of a biopsy it's just kind of the way that they do it's a little bit different and i just prayed god would you give me someone that really uh doesn't dismiss me because up to that mm-hmm. point i just felt really dismissed and it's very hard i think women when they go to doctors it, it, they can easily be dismissed because they seem anxious or because yes. they've their symptoms or because you know they're unsure about it all and they don't know how to approach the conversation confidently yeah. so they yeah. kind of just at times dismiss you because because of those reasons and mm-hmm. I was like, God, would you just give me someone that wouldn't dismiss me? So I went into the, um, the area where they were going to do the sample. And I thought that they were going to like, not look at it right there. Right. But this guy, his name is Dr. Camero, And this is a pretty important part of the story because he comes up later in the story. He um did the sample and did the tissue and he kept asking his nurse for more samples.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I just had that sinking feeling like, why are you needing more samples? So he was taking the tissue and looking at, at it, in his microscope. And he's been there for 25 years looking at cells and seeing what's malignant and what's not. And, you know, I said, you seem um, nervous, like what's going on, you know? Yeah. And he kind of sat me down and he said, it's not looking so good. Um, and I was shocked by that, like for a pathologist to say that to me in the moment. And I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, but I wanna kind of talk to with my team and do the full pathology with them. It's either a lactating adenoma or maybe cancer, um, but I'm gonna send you home and we'll see. And he gave me his card and wrote his personal cell phone number on it. He's a he's a pathologist and has been
0: a pathologist <laughs> for
1: 25 years and gave me his personal cell phone number. Um, that also doesn't happen here in the East Coast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or anywhere
1: for that matter. <laughs> you don't know, get a doctor's cell phone number. Um, so I was like, God, you you heard my prayer. So in a weird way, I walked away encouraged, Like, right? Because yeah. I felt like God was really ordering my steps here. Um, and so, you know, I went home and I, I just told Caleb about it and, you know, Caleb at that point really wasn't super worried. Um, and so I was just like, well, we'll just see. And then it was, um, a day and a half later, uh, at, it was a Friday night at 6 PM, I get a call from Mount Nittany Medical Center, which is our hospital here. And I knew that that was an OBGYN on call, meaning they were delivering babies, but they're doing nightly calls. And she just, Caleb wasn't home yet. He was late from work. And I was supposed to have dinner with a friend. And she said, are you with your kids alone? Is there like a place you can get where you can kind of go by yourself? And, you know, she just told me, she said, "Um, I am shocked, but you have breast cancer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I wanted to call you before the weekend hit, which is why I'm calling you when I'm on call delivering babies. And I I just want to share that. And I was... Just blown away. Um, I had had a birthday, so at this point I was 30, but I was like, what, you know, shocked. I mean, I was still nursing. Yeah. Uh, it was still very much, you know, it's postpartum. I have, mm-hmm. I just, it just was shocking to me. And if you look it up, 3% of um, nursing moms actually even can get breast cancer. Like, supposedly it's a protective mechanism. Yeah. Um, I've read that if you get cancer within the timeframe of you being pregnant, Or having a baby or nursing within that first year it's actually a pregnancy associated cancer so like essentially your body kind of your hormones and everything went awry like instead of doing what it was supposed to do they kind of did the wrong thing right because everything's changing in your body so she told me and she said we know nothing about it we don't know if it's contained we don't know if it's spread and i was like what do i do and so she gave me a couple of options and basically I said I just want to get into the fastest place possible (laughs) like a lot of people are happy with Penn State Hershey which is um Penn State Hershey is about an hour and a half away from us um so I said okay you know but it was the weekend (laughs) oh yeah the worst time ever (laughs) you know and I remember like that weekend just knowing I had breast cancer and like wanting to just lay with my babies and do nothing I didn't care about
0: yeah. How clean
1: my house was. I didn't care about any, like Caleb and I, we wouldn't dare fight, you know, like it was yeah, just, right? Yeah. Like, how long do I have to? I knew nothing. And I think that that was a really raw but important time for me to have a weekend where I, no one told me anything except you have breast cancer and I could not find out anything. There was nothing wow. I could do. And to be completely out of control of the rest of my life, I don't know if I have a one month sentence or if I'm going to mm-hmm. live, you know, and, that really struck me on how much all of a sudden my attitude my thoughts my behavior was changing from that one moment. Yeah, um, you know, because we get caught up in life, and we get caught up and don't think that would ever happen to us, you mm-hmm. know, and so um, yeah that was uh, a big obviously turning point in our life and um, yeah, so we basically, um, I went to Hershey, I think I got in, I, I drove them crazy on Monday <laughs> because my OBGYN office had to make the referral. And I just, I basically called like as many times as I could to make sure it was happening. And um, they got the referral into Hershey and then I called Hershey before they could call me. And I was like, I need to get in, can I get in, <laughs> you know? And it's funny now because, you know, hindsight's twenty-twenty, but I was just desperate for answers. all you want is answers. If you've ever had to wait on any kind of scan or anything, which now, and I'll talk about later, I have my muscles grown in that a bit to be able Mm -hmm. to, and to be unsure. In fact, I'm in the middle of an unsure season right now with some different things I'm waiting on, but you know, that was my first time to really be tested of you know, what is it like when you don't know the rest of your life, how you lean into Jesus? Yeah. And what's that going to look like? Are you, are you going to lean away? Or are you going to lean into him? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went to Hershey and I, they did the same sort of scans and the person that did the ultrasound there, which is an ultrasound is, you know, surface level scan. Um, she was trained at like an Ivy league school and she said she could hardly see the lump at all and would have hmm. never flagged this as cancer so they did an mri and it was a five centimeter tumor um and three weeks later at removal it was a seven centimeter tumor which is a lemon-sized wow. cancer tumor that was missed um thank god you know we asked for yeah. that. Um, and it was an aggressive form of breast cancer. And so it was HER2 positive, um, which has to be treated a little bit differently and a little bit more aggressive. And so at this point, um, it was quite overwhelming and they're, you know, trying to get my surgery scheduled pretty much a double mastectomy was the recommended course of treatment. Um, and so, uh, it was just a matter of whether I would have reconstruction or not, uh, with that double Mm -hmm. mastectomy. And so they paired me with um, a plastic surgeon to discuss all of that. And once again, I had that sinking feeling Brie, of like, I just knew something was wrong in that moment. And um, through a lot of back and forth, Caleb and I just kind of decided that reconstruction wasn't the best option for me um, and for us. And so um, I went with that. So I just had the double mastectomy and I found out some really interesting things later about that, which I'll get to. Um, Thank God that we did that when we did because I was able to have my mastectomy to remove the tumor three weeks later. And had we waited on the plastic surgeon, it would have been at least two months later. Um, And at the rate in which the cancer was growing, it was pretty drastic. So that decision to not get um, reconstruction was very important because it was three weeks I was able to get in to get the tumor removed versus um, two months and I'll tell you why that was even more important. So I had my surgery and, um, this was November, 2019, just to give people like a timeframe. Um, November, 2019 had my surgery and, you know, went through the recovery. And what happens is they take two lymph nodes. It's called sentinel lymph node. And they take two of them when you're under to see if there's cancer in those lymph nodes. And then if there is, they go out and take more in the um auxilla region and so they look under the microscope when you're in surgery to see if there's cancer in those two and then when you wake up they tell you and so when i woke up from surgery they said we don't see any cancer so it looks like the tumor was contained right so it would be like it had not invaded had not spread
0: it was a contained
1: tumor they said but we always send this back to pathology so in a week you'll find out officially and that's the like important decision because if it did spread, then they will prescribe chemo and those types of things, radiation, and if not, then you might be just fine with the surgery. The first thing that they told me was that they didn't see cancer in this two lymph nodes. And so it's like, great, we're probably in the clear a surgery. It was very hard, obviously a double mastectomy, but no treatment after that. And then whenever I met with my um, surgeon a week later, she said, actually, there was some isolated tumor cells in those first two lymph nodes. Um, meaning that there was some cancer cells that had spread there, but she said that they don't think it actually spread because they couldn't see at the tumor site where it had actually invaded. Cause you can see all of that. They think that whenever they did a biopsy, because we did multiple biopsies that they seeded some of those cancer cells from the mm. main tumor into the lymph nodes. And that those, that any cells that got into the lymph nodes would just die off. And it wasn't a big deal. Once again, that sinking feeling came into play. And I felt just sick to my stomach. Um, so I talked with them and I left and I called Dr. Camero, the pathologist that did my initial biopsy. And I was like, Dr. Camero, have you ever heard of this? Um, you gave me your cell phone number, you know, <laughs> and he told me this is a, he looked up through books and he said, this is a very gray area in science. Like yeah. there's really no definitive way to tell you if that's actually what happened. They could have missed the invasion that is possible, or it could have been seeding from the biopsy. And I said, this is kind of a big decision because if I walk away and there's actually cancer cells that spread, then it could spread to multiple parts of my body later on. And be right. like, this is a really big decision here. And so, um, talking with him though, really brought clarity that that's not really a scientific answer that they gave me. It was just their theory. And yeah, I really yeah. needed science to back up my decision if I was going to have chemotherapy or not. right right. Um, and so I respectfully told Hershey that we're gonna go for a second opinion. Um, and so I looked in this area, and we are three hours from John Hopkins, one of the best medical institutes in the United States. And so thankfully, we were able to get in by the end of December. So that was, you know, is a little over a month. And I actually had all of my tissue from the surgery sent over to John Hopkins and their pathology team looked at it as if I had surgery there, which was really incredible. Um, And this is that kind of important part. Remember, I told you I decided against reconstruction and I couldn't really put my finger as to why fully. Um, Well, when their pathology team looked at it, they actually found um, more than Hershey did, and it did actually invade. And so I did have um, invasive breast cancer. And um, so, you know, what was in the first two lymph nodes could have been in the three and the four and the fifth and the sixth lymph node. And there's it's still in my body. And so, you know, I just think about how aggressive that cancer was, how it was five centimeters and three weeks later it was seven mm-hmm. centimeters. And then had I waited two months to have the plastic surgery, how much more it could have spread and what we could have been looking yeah. at. And so I just thank God that just gave the direction he knew, sensitive to him speaking and, and to him guiding me, and he really did speak um, to both Caleb and I every step of the way. So um, I met with a pretty big team there at John Hopkins, um, and I, so I had an oncologist, and then I met with the surgeon because they were trying to decide if they needed to remove more lymph nodes or not, and then I met with a radiation oncologist, and the whole team decided that. We wouldn't go in and move through more more lymph nodes. It had been a while since, you know, they had found the cancer and it spreads quickly. So they just wanted me to start on the chemotherapy regimen fairly quickly. Um, and then so we did three months of chemotherapy, six weeks, five days a week of radiation, and then one entire year of targeted therapy, which is kind of like an immunotherapy, which is similar to chemo but a little bit milder. So that was an entire year. Um, which is kind of what spread out this whole process. So between surgery, and then I waited about three or four months till I could even get the chemotherapy and then started that. So it ended up being a whole year and a half of, I would say all of the breast cancer treatment. So yeah, that's kind of the beginning um, of my story a bit.
0: Okay. So I had a question for you. um, And we talked about this, I think on our, on one of our Marco Polos, Uh, you talked a lot about, you know, like You had a sinking feeling, you know, and you would talk to Caleb and then you guys would feel one way. Um, And I know in Christian circles, especially people really argue about this, argue about like following your feelings, not following your feelings. But when you're going through something like this, like cancer, when it doesn't tell you in the Bible, whether you should um, go with John Hopkins opinion or Hershey opinion or this doctor or that doctor, basically, how do you know you're making the right decisions or how do you have peace with the decisions you make? You know what I mean? Knowing maybe even that the decisions you make might not even be the outcome that you want. I guess, basically, what what would you say to that? Because I know we probably have listeners that are going through something similar, um, maybe as severe, maybe not as severe. But I think with health issues specifically people get really anxious about what to do next, where to go, because it's not black and white all the time.
1: Absolutely. So I think talking about how I believe that God speaks to us, I think there's multiple ways God speaks to us. I think when you read his word, he speaks to us, when you read the Bible. I think when you have leaders around you that can speak into your life, Mm -hmm. that's important through dreams. Also just through kind of nudges, which is kind of what I've been describing, you just sort of feel one way or the other. Now we can't always trust our emotions when they don't line up with the Bible, right? right. But a lot of times these were in moments where I had peace, not anxiety. Yeah. I had anxiety yeah. about the situation, but peace about the decision. And sometimes I honestly, Bri, didn't know that it was the Lord, but I would talk to a friend, a leader, my husband, my mom was a big part of this. And Mm -hmm. just through talking with everyone, I would feel confirmed in my heart of the right decision. But to be honest, to be really honest, I don't think I've ever in my entire life heard Jesus more clearly than about my health. And when I got diagnosed with cancer, it felt the most tangible certainty and confidence I've ever felt, which is and amazing and incredible and since then i've actually learned to walk in that in the remainder of my health journey because i've told like one fourth of the story so far (laughs) talked about this like i have learned to walk in the confidence that god has given me that he does speak to me um and so it's not a great it's not a straightforward answer but it's more that When you have relationship with him, you hear his voice and you know him, you know, the Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And so I just have to trust sometimes that when things feel right, that it is God. And if it's not, he's going to work it out with his grace in the end. So,
0: yeah, I think that's a big thing to remember that if it's not God, or if you make a quote unquote mistake or a bad decision that God is truly working out good for those that love him, that he truly is going to work all of that out. For your good for his glory and uh, for the plan that he has for your life. So that's good. That's really good. Okay. Did you want to continue sharing your story.
1: Well, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit because this is important for when we get to practicals, some of the side effects of what I experienced um, when I was going through everything. But I wanted to say before I started chemotherapy, so I got paired with a local doctor to administer the chemotherapy and a local doctor to do the radiation and a local doctor to do the targeted therapy. And when I started my very first chemo session, I had blood work beforehand and my liver numbers, they're called AST and ALT were elevated like through the roof, I think in the 400s, like crazy elevated and this is going to be throughout my whole story like a theme of my liver numbers being very elevated and the yeah. liver is what filters everything for your body right so we had to I mean it was my first chemotherapy session I was there for like got care for my kids was there with my husband all ready to go and they sent me home and said I couldn't get it and they told me I had to go to a liver doctor and to, just to make sure that I didn't have liver cancer oh my gosh <laughs> So, because we're treating a whole different thing then, right. you know, and so, cause that would have been either another cancer or breast that had spread to the liver and that I needed to check to see if I had liver damage or some sort of liver condition. And so we had to stop, which pro- prolonged the process even more. So that's when my liver doctor, John Hopkins came into the picture and he's still in my life. I was seeing him <laughs> in weeks actually, um, but they did pretty much all the scans that they can do. They did a full liver workup and they, it all they found was minor inflammation in the liver and that I could go ahead and get treatment. Um, so it was sort of just this fluke. I had had the flu, which now I think was COVID because mm-hmm. this was February, 2020 yep. <laughs> and COVID became a thing, March, 2020. So, but I had like the flu ish right around that time too. So maybe that spiked my liver numbers. Cause that is one of the things that can spike your liver. Um, My liver has continued to be elevated, which I'll get to in a moment, but basically um, that stopped my very first chemotherapy treatment, okay? Finally, they gave me the green light to do it again. And that was the day that President Trump announced that um, we were in a global Mm -hmm. pandemic. As I'm sitting, getting my first chemotherapy session, um, March of 2020, Caleb sitting next to me, everyone's like, tune in, tune in, President Trump's getting on the news. And we're like, what? So we got on our phones, the kids we had put in daycare um, for that d- that day, we had a, worked out a situation where they would have like a temporary full-time daycare during this time. And so we got on our phones and he's like, oh, we are in a global pandemic for COVID-19 and stay home, s- slow the spread, those with cancer are at most get risk. And mm-hmm. we were like, what? Like, I was I was literally in the chair getting my chemo. Yeah. And so we were like, wait, 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 <laughs> like, what does this mean? Um, you know, that was at the time where nobody people were like staying at home and wiping yeah. down groceries and so yeah. <laughs> leaving their groceries outside, waiting to yeah, bring them in, the spraying them with Lysol. <laughs> yeah. you know, when you couldn't get you couldn't get Lysol or Clorox, you couldn't find masks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this was yeah. not a thing. And so we pulled our kids from daycare and kept them at home and i got chemotherapy every single week and they stayed at home with me so um, from that point on actually uh, my husband he works but he worked from home most of the time and when he would work outside of the home it was outside doing um shoots on campus Um, but every day i was able by the grace of god to take care of them while going through this year journey of all of these things um yeah so that was interesting but some of the side effects That I had, um, I had a lot of pain at my surgery site for long term. In fact, I still have pain at surgery site and have to do morning physical therapy for that had trouble lifting which when you have an active one year old (laughs) for crawl. I joke all the time because my second daughter is like a monkey. She crawls on everything in our house
0: and we just let her. And I say, you know, that's the reason why, because I couldn't control her, because I couldn't lift her. Hey, for- I can control mine and my second climbs all over everything too. <laughs> it must be a second child thing. Um, but yeah, and so she,
1: I mean she would crawl up to get her snacks. I mean all those types of things because I couldn't lift her. Yeah. Um, you know, and while Caleb worked at home, he has a very busy job, so it couldn't be like every single time she wanted picked up ice go, oh, you know, Caleb come pick my baby right. up. Yep. You know, right. So so that was some of the things I had was working through. I got very intense mouth sores. Um that was very hard, probably the hardest because you talk all the time as a mom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't realize and you can't yeah. not speak to them. You can't <laughs> tell them what to do, you know, or answer their questions. And so there, I remember there was moments where I said, mommy can't talk much today. We're watching TV."
0: you, know, yeah. cause
1: the more you talk, the more it irritated them. Um, you know, like canker type sores like, mm-hmm. yeah, I won't be too graphic, but a lot of neuropathy, um, all over body pain and people always like, asked me well what is body pain it was like deep bone pain so Mm -hmm. if the girls would sit on me i could feel it kind of radiating my bones and joint pain then when radiation hit i did okay during that but got a lot of skin discoloration and burning during the radiation which was very hard because your babies lay on your chest Mm -hmm. um so you can imagine all of that um nausea obviously some gi issues fatigue um some hair loss but actually what ended up happening was Throughout my cancer journey, when I was getting chemotherapy, they would take blood work and my liver numbers were elevated so frequently that they actually lowered my chemotherapy dose because they were scared that they were giving me liver damage. Um, because, you know, the provider is, you know, they have an oath to do no harm, so they don't want to be pumping right. me. and then ultimately damaging my liver because that's a major organ of my body. So they lowered my chemo dose. So right around the time I really started to shed a lot of hair and I was this close to shaving it, it kind of halted that hair loss process. And I did shed throughout all of treatment, but I never fully lost all of it, Um, which was, you know, the grace of God in a way. I always felt nervous that my chemo dose was lowered, but, um, you know, that maybe it wasn't as effective, but we had to protect my organs at the same time. Um, so those were just a couple things while I was going through it that I was navigating as a mom in the home. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, what day to day looked like while also trying to be the best mom that I can. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of that story. And then I have kind of after treatment story, but if you want to stop and ask questions, you know, feel yeah, free. I did.
0: I had two questions. Well, one was just kind of a statement, but if you had anything to say, to me, I just, I think it. It is neat, although I'm sure at the time it was very overwhelming that you had daycare lined up for the girls so that you could get through this time. And then quarantine happened. And not only were you going to be taking care of yourself, which you would have been taking care of your kids either way, it's not like you wouldn't have been full time mom still, but you were like full time, full time mom. (laughs) You know, they were there through all of this. And I think what a blessing that is. But I can't even imagine the challenge that. It also was, you know, not having, which our listeners may not know, but your family's not close to you either. So I know you guys have a good support group of friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. Um, When I first found out about it, I had a really stinky attitude. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) this I can't do this I can't go through chemo I mean I just had a chemo infusion and everyone's saying stay home for this random virus that I know nothing about I was like no I can't but at the end of the day (laughs) I didn't want to risk it you know um and just didn't know what it would do and so we made that decision and it took a long time for my heart to get right about you know wanting to do that But now, and I almost cry saying this, I would have never traded it for the world. Yeah, The things that my daughters have learned and the resiliency and the empathy. Mm. Their preschool tells us all the time that they're the most empathetic children. Mm. Um, And I am so grateful. We had a friend over the other day who has some health issues. And while she was over, she had um, a pretty bad episode where she had to go lay down. And um, we were telling her she ended up staying at our house most of the day because her husband um, had the car and she didn't have a car to leave. And you know my my oldest daughter was like, you know, I won't mention her name, but was saying, "Hey, I'm so glad you got to be here today. It was like a whole day with you." And yeah. so they learned how to look at something that's really hard and find the good in it, which really yeah. is the heart that I want them to have. They had to learn it at a tough age. Mm-hmm. at a young, a young age, which is tough. Yeah. you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but now I wouldn't have traded it for the world. We made the best memories. And um, I learned a lot about myself and that I can, I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was.
0: But that kind of leads into the other thing I wanted to say, speaking of women and just what you went through, I think really just hit your womanhood, your motherhood and your wifehood too. But having breast cancer, so having to get your breasts removed and then getting close to losing your hair, um, praise God that you didn't. But I think breast cancer um, can be different from other cancers and other illnesses in the way that it affects our femininity. I mean, I'm sure you would agree that God taught you where your true strength came from, where your true beauty came from, where your true femininity came from. And just really like where that eternal beauty and that eternal strength comes from in that time. Because I just, again, I can't imagine, I can't imagine going through that. And I think about it often with women who battle breast cancer in specific.
1: Absolutely. And I think too,
0: women aren't
1: open enough about
0: how a lot of women
1: who ha- who have this also have to get a hysterectomy. Mm. And so that is something that was early on discussed a lot. I think just um, it's it's a lot. It's your breasts. It's, I was in the middle of nursing and I remember the nurse um, at the surgeon's office saying, have you um, weaned yet? And I said, uh, no, like that's how I'm feeding my baby. No one told me I needed to wean and switch her to formula. I mean, no one told me, they said, have you weaned yet? Not, Hey, you want to probably start to, it was just, have you weaned yet? And I just started crying and she apologized to Mm.
0: me and
1: didn't mean anything by it, but it is, everything that you maybe would define as a woman, right. And being removed and taken from you and even fertility now for me and challenges with that. And, you know, and then obviously just figuring out, um, in marriage, what that looks like. Right. And, and moving forward. And so, um, that's been a big thing that Caleb and I've been working through as, as we've been kind of not in the treatment stage anymore. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you learn so much about how beauty is from within. You know,
0: yeah. so. where your real identity, your true identity lies. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, after, so after I was done in March of 2021, um, so a year later with lots of starting and stopping with the chemotherapy and things because of my liver, which is very frightening. You just want to get the drugs to kill the cancer, you know, <laughs> um, you just you want it gone. You, right. it's the only way you feel you're in control. Um, and so when I couldn't get it, I would go and I'd have blood work and my liver numbers would be too high and they'd send me home. And it was just another week of like, ah, just it's, it's prolonging our life. Restarting is how I had thought about it at the time I had had chronic body pain pretty intensely during most of treatment. And every time I'd bring it up to my oncologist, they would just say, oh, your body's just very sensitive it's just the side effects. It's normal. Just wait till you're done with treatment. Well, with my AST and ALT being really high all the time and not really knowing why, even though they thought it was the chemo, I just felt kind of uneasy about that. Um, and then the joint pain I thought, you know, I wonder if I have some autoimmune stuff going on. My immune system's gone whack. It would make sense. Right. And so, yeah, I just kind of on my own actually scheduled with a rheumatologist at john hopkins and so i scheduled that for april and i just wanted to kind of get my name out there and have a consult and so after treatment um you know all of my body pain wouldn't let up so i met with him dr mackley he's actually a rheumatologist and a neuro- neurologist he's wonderful and he just said i really think that most of this is the cancer treatment um yes some of your blood works off but you just had cancer treatment, so let's do some try to get back to go swimming. that's a really low impact workout stretching, do some NSAIDs um and just see how that works and so I went went home, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that and it was maybe a couple of months later and all of a sudden we had kind of um reopened our lives in terms of covid and so i was done with treatment and um for us personally vaccination was the best choice so we got vaccinated and then we decided to kind of reopen and start to go places let people into our home and all of those things and so we started getting sick a lot my whole family because we had been at home for over a year and so um We were all getting ear infections, sinus infections, but there was this, I had gotten sick, but then shortly after that sick time, it wasn't like letting up and I was having really bad headaches. I would lean over and my face would kind of like blow up like balloon. Um, I was having trouble breathing. I was getting dizzy. And, but you have to understand, Brie, that whenever you're going through these things so much, everyone always attributes it to side effects from the cancer treatment. Oh, it's long-term side effects, it's side effects, it's side effects. So when you actually have a real medical problem, other than what you're dealing with, it's really hard to differentiate. So I went to like the walk-in clinic one day I was like, I can't shake this sinus infection. So they gave me some steroids just to see if that would help. And they actually helped a little bit because steroids do all sorts of things that are helpful. They're great. (laughs) Um, But then after the steroid kind of wore off, it it got really bad and, I mentioned it to her and she's like you know have you ever got your heart checked out and so i was like oh interesting um yeah i have an echocardiogram coming up in a week which i got i get those regularly because um chemotherapy affects the heart a lot and so i had an echocardiogram and there was some abnormal blood flow in the left subclavian region that the they don't normally see and it was just briefly kind of flagged by the cardiologist which is kind of funny because it's caleb's cardiologist who was doing it Mm -hmm. dr bradbury (laughs) so just kind of an odd there's a lot of cardiologists in the area but he was the one reading it that day so he knew our family and he knew our circumstance caleb has had a lot of heart issues and so he's seen him pretty regularly and he knew about me having breast cancer and so he kind of flagged that and then my oncologist got those results and was like, hey, there's been something going on. And I said, oh, I've been having all these symptoms that I thought was like a sinus infection. But I wonder, and I said, I actually looked it up. And I wonder if it's a superior vena cava blockage. And you could tell the oncologist's nurse was kind of like, What, you know, are you diagnosing yourself, right? WebMD, all Yeah, WebMD, right? And I was like, I don't know. I just, when I look at my symptoms and I see that it really fits what I'm feeling and it kind of puts into words what I'm feeling, which is some of the help of the internet. Yeah. And put into words what you can't quite describe, what you're living, but you articulate. And so anyway, after I said all that, they were like, oh, tomorrow morning you go to the hospital and you get a CT scan. So they did a CT scan on my brain, head and neck and come to find out they thought it was actually a blood clot in my superior vena cava, which if you don't know what that is, (laughs) I learned a lot about this. It is a major, major vein, essentially pumps blood from your heart into your brain. And so they thought it was like a blood clot. And so what happened was we went back to my oncologist office and Caleb and I sat down with him and he's like, I think I'm going to put you on Eliquis, which is a, a blood thinning medication. It's called an anticoagulant. And Caleb knows a thing or two about blood clots because he actually also has factor five laden. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he's learned a lot about blood clots. We're always keeping an eye out for him because of that. And he said, well, what if this blood clot dislodges and goes into her lungs? Won't that cause a pulmonary embolism? And I'm so thankful that Caleb did that. And doctor, um, my doctor, my oncologist, he said, Yeah, actually that could happen. And we just looked and I said, and listen to me, Bri, I don't normally get this honest with doctors, but you know, he he gave me all my cancer treatments. I saw him weekly and I said to him, If you don't really know, maybe I can see like a vascular surgeon. <laughs> like if you're not really sure, like can we do- can I see the right specialist? And he's like, I don't really know. And I was like, okay, can we go to the hospital? <laughs> so yes, please. that led me to the ER and the purpose of going into the ER, okay. So I went into our local ER and um, they were being incredibly dismissive to me. And they put me on um, a blood thinner through an IV, heparin, which you're like connected to. And they moved me up to like the wing of the hospital, which means I'm gonna stay for a while. Long story short, the vascular surgeon there actually wouldn't come in on a weekend to see me and didn't think it was that important. Um, so one of the doctors there that was like the rotating doctor looked at my scans and felt really uneasy about it. And he sent it over to a local hospital, an hour and a half away, um, and connected it with a vascular surgeon who was off for the weekend and actually said, can you look at these scans? And she looked at them and she's like, I need to see her we need to get her here immediately and so um they didn't have any more ambulances so i called a friend of mine from church whose husband's an ambulance oh driver i was like can he come you know you know take because i was on a heparin drip, so i was connected to an iv in a hospital and also having these major symptoms And they moved me over to Geisinger Danville because of COVID restrictions, the girls couldn't come see me. So Caleb had to stay home with the girls. So I was by myself in the hospital. I had one, you know, one friend come visit, which was wonderful, (laughs) but (laughs) it was a scary time. It was a really scary time. So I get moved to this other hospital, Geisinger Danville, and I had a huge team of people that rallied around me and come to find out my vein actually had collapsed. Mm. There was an obstruction from my port and my vein had collapsed. And had we made it much longer, I could have died. And this was about four months after I was done with breast cancer treatment. And just when you think you're kind of Mm. so the marathon you think was five miles and now all of a sudden it's like 13 plus and you can't even see the end of it. You're like, how do I trust you with this, Lord? And this was a very low point for me because I thought I'm trying to get better, right? Like I saw this yeah. John Hopkins doctor, I've been swimming, I've been stretching and all of a sudden I I could have died. I thought that's what the cancer was doing, not yeah. afterwards, you know? Yeah, they, they went in and they ballooned it, it's called an angioplasty and they decided not to put a stent in, um, which is important because I'll, I'll tell you about that in a moment, but um, they, They removed the port, and so far I've not had any more issues with that, thankfully. Um, I went home, and about within a week, I was having tachycardia. I was having these dizzy spells. I would kind of turn white, and my heart would just jump out of nowhere, particularly when I changed positions um, or when I got hot. Um, And those were the two kind of main triggers, and I couldn't get my heart to come down. So it would be like in the 130s for no reason when I was just sitting down which as you know, being a mom, you get up and down all the time. And this was in the summer, this was June. So your heart can rise at any moment being a mom. (laughs) Cause you to be busy and all of those things. I went to a local cardiologist here and they really didn't have many answers for me. So then I went back to John Hopkins. Thankfully they had a cancellation, um, just all these cool details. That's why the whole story is so important, Brie, you know, they had a cancellation and got me to an electrophysiologist, which is like even a step above a cardiologist. And he pulled out a diagram and he showed me, he said, I think you're having inappropriate sinus tachycardia and essentially right below that, that superior vena cava sits a, a, a node. It's called the SA node and it sends electrical signals to your autonomic nervous system. That autonomic nervous system regulates your heart and basically the trauma from that kind of collapse of your vein and then it coming back is what caused that kind of tachycardia and your body doesn't know how to regulate anymore. Whereas maybe someone like you, Brie, or someone else that doesn't have this issue, your body knows when to go up and down, when you get hot, when you get cold, your heart regulates. Well, my nervous system wasn't telling it to do that. So it actually wasn't a heart issue. It was a nervous system issue. And I just felt so relieved, right, that and so I was also frustrated, though, and a little bit frustrated at the Lord, like, okay, so I'm done with cancer treatment, I have a major blockage, I go and get that blockage fixed. And now I have nervous system, issue. what are you doing, Lord, what are you doing? You know, it felt like I've had, it's an avalanche upon avalanche upon avalanche of problems. And, you know, in your mind, you're like, God, I've followed you my whole life, I've (laughs) I was six years old, Mm -hmm. but God reminds me that the disciples suffered so Mm -hmm. much in their name. And the reason is because they were worthy enough to suffer in his name. Some of the greatest disciples are the ones who suffered the most. So that's what he kept reminding me. So they put me on a medicine for that. So currently that's only being managed with medication. Honestly, I would love for it to go away. I don't know if it ever will. Um, After that, I'm like, okay, all right let's refocus what's life looking like you know and i'm starting also around that time i was on a medical leave while i was going through cancer treatment i started back to work right around that time as well let's see i started pretty actively a couple weeks right before my surgery thankfully my boss at the church was just incredibly flexible with what was going on and i'm so thankful for the job that i have and so he's just been so wonderful and kind and just understanding about everything but then you know over the next couple of months i kept trying to like rehabilitate myself whatever that looked like just feel better get back to quote unquote normal which now i've learned is just it's a new normal but i kept having major joint pain and body pain and nerve pain and just brain fog and different things and so currently i'm in this stage now where i've went back to john hopkins to the rheumatologist and neurologist and they're in process of they have narrowed it down to two autoimmune conditions. Um, one is autoimmune, and the other is being reclassified as autoimmune, but officially is not. So, uh, fibromyalgia and inflammatory polyarthralgia. And Correct. also, there can be even more conditions underlying those, but um, the inflammatory one's actually more rare. And he said, I could have both, or I could just have one. Um, And so they offered me a variety of medications. And so I'm actually only taking a medication that is more of an as needed basis. So when I'm in really high pain days, um, instead of a daily medication, because I'm currently on the autoimmune protocol diet to kind of help treat this before I go on a daily medication, because if I go on a daily medication, I won't be able to see if the autoimmune protocol diet is helping. Whereas I'm on just like an as needed medication, um, right now with that, um, But I also had um, a CT scan to see if that blockage was fully resolved, because remember, they didn't put a stent in to keep it open. So they wanted to know if it was going to collapse again. Um, And so whenever they went in to go do that, they said, Oh, the the blockage is good. We're good. We're going to scan it again in another six months. But they actually found a nodule on my lung that they're monitoring. And um, you always have to be very cautious once you've had cancer with invasive cancer, you never truly know, like with the type I had, did it fully leave? Is it still there? Is it ruminating right. in your body? Although we were very aggressive with treatment, cancer is a tricky business, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so um, they found that lung nodule and I said, could you just biopsy it? And they said, it's actually too small. It'll puncture your lung if we do that. So we just have to um, wait and see if it grows. So that felt like another kind of, okay, wait, wait, Lord. So, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I have some cancer treatment, And I had a blockage and then I had heart issues and now all this autoimmune stuff. And then the scan shows that I have a lot nodule in my lung. So I got to just wait six months to see if it grows. And if it grows, then it might be cancer. And yeah, I was like, yeah, that's, that's my lot. That's where I'm at. And so that scan's actually in a couple of weeks, by the way. So, um, yeah, I think that what was interesting is I was in survival mode during treatment. It felt like I was like in the woods running from the bear. Right. And I like was running as fast as I possibly could so the bear couldn't yep. eat me and then the bear stopped running from me right but I was still scared there was still threat right like it, it wasn't chasing me anymore but I yeah. didn't know what to do from here I was had that kind of flight or fight response going on when I was in treatment and then afterwards I was like I'm still in the woods yeah I still don't feel right but I I don't have the, the exact threat right there um, so just kind of feeling lost in the woods, sort of so to speak, after cancer treatment of like, where do I go from here? Um, and in fact, in some ways, after treatment, my symptoms were even worse.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, some of
1: my symptoms were even worse. Um, and no one prepares you for after the fact, you know, doctors yeah. they prepare you for that. So this marathon, like I said, was way longer than I expected. And I had to kind of grieve that and wrap my brain around that. I think that that was really, really important that I had to grieve that, that it wasn't going to be done when I thought it was going to be done. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I was just talking to a friend today about grieving. We were talking more specifically about loss of life, but we mentioned the fact that, you know, you grieve the loss of health, even at times you grieve the loss of maybe even financial like bankruptcy. Um, there's all sorts of grieving that we can go through though I do think there's like a, even a biblical way to grieve you know, there's a time to grieve and there's a way to even do it. I think at times, but it's almost like this ongoing thing. Like, you know, I've lost, I lost my dad at a young age. I've, I've miscarried babies. I've seen loss. We I've had dear loved ones, friends die in my life. And it's like, it's something, the grieving process comes back up. Like it sneaks back up on you sometimes, you know, a moment could trigger it uh you get this nostalgic feeling um at times or you know something can just give you that trigger and it's like you have to face it again. And it's a it's not that the Lord doesn't heal and he doesn't redeem and he doesn't restore, but those feelings I think of grief may not ever completely go away. You know, there might be times where they are enhanced. And I think that's kind of probably even something that you're noticing now too, because you were saying you're not in survival or you you're not in survival mode anymore. It's not like you just got the cancer call. Um, it's been a while now, you know, people have kind of got used to the fact, well, Sarah had breast cancer, you know, Sarah has health issues. I think it's those moments that are the hardest moments. It's you wake up one day and maybe something triggers it and no one else around you realizes that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of this silent thing that you might be dealing with that can be really hard, whether that's health related or a different kind of grieving.
1: Absolutely, Bri. And I mean, number one, you're having an invisible illness and you look fine on the outside. Like if you look at me, I look just fine. And in some ways I am fine. Part of my body's fine. Right. Right, You know, just not all of it. Um, but you grieve the things you want to do and can't do. You grieve that the things you do do, you have to navigate pain while doing them. Um, a lot of things are triggering to me and it is a constant battle of trying to push those triggers aside and be in the moment Um, one time i saw a young mom about my age pick up both of her kids at the same time right in front of me and i grieved that
0: because i missed
1: out on a really big holding time for my babies and um, my kids still to this day will caveat with oh mommy you can sit down when you pick me up if you need to or oh you know my oldest will tell my youngest don't do that don't sit on mommy's lap like that cuz it's going to cause her leg to hurt because they had to be told those things when i was going through it and even still it is their automatic response to hugging on me oh am i in the right spot mommy when they lay on my mm-hmm. chest um because that chest area chest wall still hurts and so you know uh grieving the change of my body grieving like i mentioned fertility and you know not quite feeling done with children um mm-hmm. and so I think that there's so many things to grieve in this process, but yet allowing yourself to grieve is important and allowing yourself to be where you are because God meets you in those moments in the greatest ways. I think, um, had I not had something to grieve, I wouldn't be nearly as close to him. And it's kind of sad that it takes grieving in order to lean into him in those ways, but we don't realize that when things are fine, we don't pray as much. We don't worship as much. We aren't seeking him out as much.
0: Yeah and we grieve with hope we're not a people that are hopeless you know as christians we have a great hope that we and a great joy that you know is with us as well Hey everyone Bree here again we just wanted to let you know that if you've enjoyed this episode we will be continuing it in a part two next week so this was part one seeing God through the story where Sarah shared her story and her heart with us next week we continue the interview we just pick up where we left off and she starts to give us some more wisdom and practical advice in the home I ask a few more questions we have more of a conversation it'll be a shorter episode as well so you won't want to miss this one especially if you've already started listening to the previous one We hope that you tune in and that you enjoy.